Have you ever wondered what it's like to witness a murder? Forrest grabbed the knife and then just stabbed Johnny in one motion. Or how it feels to be shot. I was immediately hit by a barrage of bullets. Or how you would react if your spouse hired someone to kill you. And he was to put me in a grave with a bullet wound on my head. These are the stories you'll hear on the podcast called What Was That Like? True stories told by the actual person who went through it. You'll hear from a stalking victim. Came back upstairs and when I came back and turned the corner into my room, I saw him standing there. You'll hear from a man who was kidnapped and tortured. I would do anything, say anything, to simply get away. And you'll hear actual 911 calls. Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Take a deep breath. Oh my God! Real people in unreal situations. Search for What Was That Like on any podcast app or at whatwasthatlike.com. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. This podcast contains adult themes and language, and some of the things that we discuss may be disturbing to some listeners. In this podcast, we discuss sexual assault, torture, race, and murder. Listener discretion is advised. If you're tuning in to Fruit Loops, you probably just heard our super awesome <laughs> uh, theme song. And I was twerking to our theme song earlier. <laughs> I love our theme song. I'm sorry, but it just really gets your booty bouncing. <laughs> so welcome. <laughs> welcome to Fruit Loops Season 2, Episode 11. Thank you so much for listening. Fruit Loops is a podcast about true crimes committed by people of color and their victims that we don't hear or know much about. Contrary to popular belief, not all serial killers are white dudes. What? Get out of here. You're lying. <laughs> there, there are many well-documented cases of serial killers of color, and Fruit Loops is a podcast all about them. We will take deep dives into the fascinating lives and crimes of serial killers and true crimes committed by people of color and the victims that the media and entertainment commonly leave out because, well, the news is racist. Allegedly. 
<laughs> and we are Wendy and Beth. She's Wendy. I'm Beth. We're not mm-hmm. journalists, investigators, or psychologists. Nope. Just a couple of gals interested in true crime. Also, mm-hmm. the opinions expressed in this podcast are just that, our opinions. Please mm-hmm. send any questions or comments to fruitloopspod at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail at 602 602- nine three five six two nine four and we may feature it in a future episode also our website is fruitloopspod.com our facebook page is fruitloopspod and our discussion group is fruitloopspod discussion on facebook yeah. we are also on twitter and instagram at fruitloopspod everything is fruitloopspod so just that's right search for that <laughs> hmm get at us now uh if you want to support the show you can send us a donation on the cash app which you can download to your phone or you can find online at cash.me slash dollar sign fruitless pod or you can become a monthly patron through our patron uh page on podbean uh or if you can't help monetarily, no problem. You can always give us a five-star review on iTunes or anywhere else you get your podcast from. And be sure to share our podcast with your friends and family. <laughs> Amen. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Beth, who are we talking about today? Today we are talking about Harrison Graham, also known as The Corpse Collector. A black American serial killer from Philadelphia who raped and murdered seven women in the 1980s. Oh, me, oh, my. I can't wait to get into it. So, before we do that, how you doing? I'm uh, still sick. (laughs) Oh, great. Working on week three. Uh, But it's nothing Mm, serious. Just just annoying. Yeah. I think Mm -hmm. as I was getting over the last bug, I caught something else. And so, like, last Thursday, I was so tired. I actually Mm. took a nap at work. (laughs) Oh, poor baby. (laughs) You know what? I did the same thing, actually. I took took a a note from you and and slept in that little room. (laughs) Yeah, the indisposed room. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to be at work because uh, one of my coworkers was not in that day. And so we had to cover for her. And so Mm -hmm. I kind of had to be there. So I figured it was better to go take a nap in the indisposed room than to go home. Well, Mm -hmm. I I would have preferred to go home, but you know. (laughs) Well, thank God for you. Thank God. (laughs) I think the stress of Christmas lowers my immune system. I always get sick after Christmas. Really? Every year? Pretty much every year. Yeah. Right after Christmas. And I was listening to a podcast where it was a couple of white dudes and Mm -hmm. they were talking about how uh, they were relaxing over the holidays and now they had to get back to work. I'm like, are you serious? You sons of bitches. Because (laughs) as uh, a female uh, Mm -hmm. with a family, if you have kids, Mm -hmm. you know, you're Mm -hmm. working over the holidays. You know, you're, mm-hmm. you're making food, you're entertaining, you're making sure everybody's happy. And um, I don't know, I, I, I guess there's the rare male who is helping out, but I think a lot of them uh, get to relax. <laughs> I, yeah, <laughs> yeah, most, <laughs> oh my gosh, I don't know if I, I don't, I'm, I'm not here to bash any dudes. My husband, uh, uh, old whitey, aka get off my lawn, aka can I speak to a manager? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he, 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 he is always 
chilling. <laughs> it's like yeah. it's like uh, I, I have not sat on my couch for the past maybe ten. I haven't sat on my couch in ten years, and he, he's over here just chilling, chilling on the couch, yeah. just chilling. Yeah, it's I think that's pretty something common. Dudes do. They're so good at it. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. I'm not here to bash men, but uh, you know, I think I think it is pretty common that, like, the holidays we're all working our asses off and is very stressful, and they're over there like, oh, this is so relaxing. Oh, this is, There's all this nice stuff happening, just yeah. falling right into my lap. It's great. <laughs> oh my gosh! Well, same girl, same, and I'm so sorry you're so sick still. Golly, oh, yeah. that is a long time to be dealing I, with. No. Illness. Oh, fucking annoying. Tell you what. Well, I rebuke you, <laughs> illness. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's awful. That's that's the worst. That being sick is no fun. So yeah. I, I just am praying for wellness for you. You're on my prayer list. Okay, Bev. Well, thank you. You're <laughs> so welcome. So um, let's get into some listener letters. they are <laughs> so we've been away um because it was the holidays and everything um and uh when we announced our return we got some really really sweet messages from from listeners who had missed us so thank you all for rocking with yeah. us for fucking with us and for sticking with us um these two messages came from instagram and uh again we announced that we're back and this first messages from rl cox on instagram she said uh i can't wait i spent the last two weeks catching up uh from episode one and so to you my uh rl cox listener we love you so much and thank you all the hip-hop air horns yeah that's awesome Yes. Uh, and the uh, next message we got was from uh, at the purple lurple. Hello. Um, <laughs> I like she's, that name. Uh, yeah, I like that name too. That's a good one. Um, I've just started listening and I love your podcasts. Uh, uh, purple lurple said on episode three and I'm already hooked. It's made me wonder if any POC are serial killers in the UK. Oh, Oh, we got one for you, girl. Hey, (laughs) yeah, we do. Uh, And we just have the same issue with racist reporting here. Um, There are only ever white blokes. Oh, I love that she said blokes. Reported as being (laughs) multiple murderers over here. Thank you so much, R.L. Cox and the Purple Lurple for fucking with us. Love you both. uh, And be prepared to receive blessings via hip hop air horn. Fruit Loops loves you. Yes, yes. And yes. also uh hip hop air horn, big hip hop air horn for our new yes. patron, Helen in the UK. Oh. <gasps> hey, Ellen. <laughs> Ellen, thank you. Thank you so, so much. You really, really are helping us out. We appreciate it. So um let's take a quick break and get into the story when we come back. We would like to invite any listeners who have a business to advertise to do it with us. For more information, please email us at fruitloopspod at gmail.com or check out our website at fruitloopspod.com. 
So um, who are we talking about again today, Beth? Today we're talking about Harrison Graham, also known as the Corpse Collector, a black American serial killer from Philadelphia who raped and murdered seven women in the 1980s. And he was apprehended in 1987. Ooh. All right. So let's get into some stats. (laughs) (laughs) So, um... (laughs) Let's see, Harrison Graham, a.k.a. Marty. Um, I, I, and by the way, Beth, I didn't realize that he had a cool nickname, the Corpse Collector. Uh, yeah, I only saw it in a few places, but I, I liked okay. it. <laughs> okay, <laughs> then I'll take it. It's sick as fuck, <laughs> but I like it. <laughs> it is. It's a good one. So uh, so that's, that's the dude we are talking about. Um, couple of sources referred to him as mentally retarded. We don't use that R word anymore, but that's what the sources said. Um, he was a drug abuser and necrophiliac. Um, again, I do not appreciate the R word. And I don't know if I believe um, that he was actually um, mentally handicapped. We'll get into that more later. Um, he was arrested on August 17th, 1987. Um, his victims were mostly female addicts of color um his method of murder was strangulation um his the location of the crimes occurred in philly Penn, philadelphia pennsylvania and uh currently he is serving a life sentence in prison let's see uh, i think he was also sentenced to six electrocutions <laughs> um <laughs> that's that's six electrocutions that's that's a lot of electrocutions um and but then something happened with something happened with the laws and he was deemed incompetent to be executed in uh december of 2003 because of his mental status but uh we'll get into that later so um now we're gonna talk about where this took place the setting philly pen is rich with racist history so let's get into it (laughs) yeah so philadelphia also known as the city of brotherly love in the mid-1980s that's when this took place let's talk Mm -hmm. a little bit about the history of the setting because circumstances create context and it matters it show as shit does. Uh, Philadelphia is known as the birthplace of the United States and is notable for its rich history. Oh, yes, indeed. If you visit Philadelphia today, you can see the Liberty Bell. Oh, great. Independence Hall, where the Declaration of Independence and Constitution were signed. Uh, Carpenters Hall, where the First Continental Congress met. And other American revolutionary sites. And I don't know about you, Wendy, but uh, as I was researching this, I I had to turn on Hamilton. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) Alexander Hamilton. (laughs) Yep. So I was listening to that soundtrack while I was writing this. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. So uh, the National Park Service started doing more consultation with the African-American community around 2003, which surprised me because it seems so late in the game. Like 2003, you're finally uh, consulting with the African American um, community. Yeah. <laughs> uh, mm. By the way, the uh, six. Uh, so 16, I think 1619 is when the first black slave was, or the black first black person was brought to the American 
continent brought to the United States. And so 400 years later. Here, yeah. yeah, this year is the the uh, anniversary. Hooray. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, the uh, National Park Service incorporated exhibits at the Liberty Bell Center that told about slavery and provided ways for the African-American community to participate in decisions about a memorial. In 2007, the National Park Service undertook a public archaeology project to excavate artifacts and assess the findings at the site of the president's house. Okay, that sounds nice. Um, completed in 2010, the memorial, President's House, Freedom and Slavery in the Making of a New Nation, shows the outline of the original buildings and allows visitors to view the remaining foundations. The uh, commemorative open-air installation marks the site where the nation's first two presidents, George Washington, not a fan, and John Adams, also not a fan, served their terms in office. (laughs) It also pays tribute to the nine documented enslaved persons of African descent who were part of the Washington household. And I actually did not know that Washington had slaves. No. Yeah, I didn't know that. He was actually a... um, uh, his reputation as a slave owner was not good. He was actually pretty wow. um, violent. Yeah, he was not a good Ugh. slave owner. So oh, I didn't know. Yeah. Yeah, they don't tell us the history books. No, they don't. And hopefully they're doing better now. But they sure did yeah. when, when I was a kid. So Same with me. Yeah. 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 The inclusion of the topic of enslavement was an addition to the historic district of Philadelphia that has in the past been absent or minimized. In attempts to recognize the broader picture of the people who participated in the nation's early history, including enslaved and free people of African descent, the president's house calls attention to the complex juxtaposition of slavery and freedom. The first abolition society was founded in uh, Philadelphia in 1775. 17 of the 24 men who attended initial meetings of the society were Quakers. Benjamin Franklin was elected as the organization's president sometime after 1785. The society asked him to bring the matter of slavery to the Constitutional Convention of 1787. Hey, that's where our boy Alexander Hamilton was. He was asked <laughs> to join the Constitutional Convention. <laughs> and <laughs> he uh, petitioned the U.S. Congress in 1790 to ban slavery. The Pennsylvania Abolition Society, which had members mm-hmm. and leaders of both races, became a model for anti-slavery organizations in other states during the antebellum years. And the Pennsylvania Abolition Society still exists today. Does it now? Wow. Yeah, dedicated to the cause cool. of combating racism. It's the mm-hmm. oldest abolitionist organization in the United States. And since the late 20th century, it has worked to improve issues of criminal justice and the overrepresentation of African Americans in prison, reduction in harsh sentencing laws, and improving economic and environmental justice. In March 1780, an act for the gradual abolition of slavery was passed by the Pennsylvania legislature, which prescribed an end for slavery in Pennsylvania. It was the first act abolishing slavery in the course of human history to be adopted by democracy way 
before the Emancipation Proclamation. So uh, shout out to uh, Philly Penn for being like super progressive <laughs> uh, for its time. <laughs> it <laughs> it didn't end slavery in Pennsylvania since the existing enslaved people were not freed, but children born to enslaved people were free. And that's cool. And uh, it was the beginning of the end. The city's large free Black community aided fugitive enslaved people and founded the first independent Black denomination in the nation, the African Methodist Episcopal Church. Philadelphia became one of the first U.S. industrial centers with a variety of industries, the largest being textiles. In the years following the Civil War, Philadelphia's population continued to grow. A large portion of the growth came from immigrants, still mostly Irish and German. In 1870, 27% of Philadelphia's population was born outside of the United States. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic yeah. that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy and affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Whoa. Um, by the way, I uh, am an AME, African Methodist Episcopalian. Uh, my oh, dad are you? was a, yeah, my dad was a uh, AME um, preacher. <laughs> and um, we got my, my, me and my husband, old whitey, get off my lawn. <laughs> Can I speak to a manager? <laughs> we got married in an AME church. So, oh, wow. uh, That's yeah, cool. yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Anyway, <laughs> tangent, um, the population declined in the 1950s. Most of that is likely due to white flight. Um, black people were fleeing racial violence, and Philadelphia is one of the stops on the Great Migration Tour. Um, we've talked about this before in, uh, in uh, past episodes. Uh, black people moved into the cities where the jobs were and where the red lines allowed them to live. Hashtag redlining. Look it up. And it was too close for comfort for white people. So, so white people left um, the neighborhoods where all these black people were um, migrating to. And many of Philadelphia's houses were in poor condition and lacked proper facilities. Gang and mafia warfare plagued the city. Revitalization and gentrification of certain neighborhoods started bringing people back to the city. 
promotions and incentives in the 1990s led to improving the city's image and slowed the population decline. Normally, poor browner people settle in the south of cities, but in Philadelphia different. Um, The immigrants from Asia, Central, and South America settled there in the uh, 80s and the 90s. And uh, the poorer black or browner people actually um, uh, live in North Philly. Uh, And in 1987, the Philadelphia Flyers went toe-to-toe with the Edmonton Oilers in the uh, seven-game Stanley Cup series. I don't know anything about hockey. Black people don't care about <laughs> hockey. But I, I just wanted to paint, we just wanted to paint the picture of what was going on at this time. Uh, unfortunately for Philadelphia, uh, they did not win that year. And during the 1980s, the city of Pennsylvania was home to three notorious serial killers. Three? Three. Oh my. Gary Heidnick, who kidnapped, tortured, and raped six African American women and held them in a pit in his basement. Some Two of them were murdered. Yeah. The Frankfurt Slasher was a serial killer who operated in and around the neighborhood of Frankfurt in Philadelphia in 1985 to 1990. And he sexually assaulted and stabbed to death nine women. (gasps) Yeah. A man named Leonard Christopher was convicted in the murder of one of the nine supposedly linked victims. But the others actually remain unsolved, and some people don't believe that Leonard Christopher is guilty. And then lastly, Harrison Graham, the uh, guy we're talking about today. That's right. So, uh, Beth, have you heard of any of these other serial killers before? Heidnick I had heard of, but not... <laughs> I did not mean to put that button. I'm sorry. <laughs> Listen to letters, everybody. Angels are here. I am very sorry for being so unprofessional. <laughs> I I have not heard of the Frankfurt Slasher and uh, Christopher Leonard or Harrison Graham. I hadn't heard of him either. Yeah. Hey, me either. Me either. Um. So uh, that was a lot for one city. Three zero killers is a lot. But by the 1980s, um, there was an increase in serial murders across the country, especially those that involved uniquely gruesome details. Graham was active at the same time as Heidnick, but Heidnick's crimes and victims consumed most of the media attention. I wonder wonder why. Hmm. Hmm. It starts with an R and ends with acism. So now we're going to get into (laughs) the killer's early life. So let's talk about Graham when he was a little boy. Okay, so Harrison, uh, who also went as Marty Graham, was born September 9th, 1959 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. He was the oldest of five children. His mother was Lillian Graham Jeter. According to Lillian... Marty was diagnosed with a mental disorder when he was 12 and was hospitalized for two years. Uh, He was also classified as learning disabled, and he lived in a foster home from age two to seven. His foster mom said she never saw him learn to read or write. Fun fact, (laughs) he liked to uh, talk like the Cookie Monster from Sesame Street, and he had a Cookie Monster doll or puppet that he kept even as an adult. Uh, He liked to play basketball with the local kids and do his Cookie Monster impression. Uh, He also allegedly liked digging graves for uh, dogs. 
which is weird. And uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, he did it in nearby um, vacant lots. Um, and Graham was a high school dropout who read at a third grade reading level. And uh, he also couldn't tell time. So Yeah, and the, the thing about the digging graves for dogs was only in one article. Uh, not sure if it's true or not. It was only cited in the one, one article. And there's some other things that were in that article that I'm not sure about either. So uh, we'll go over those. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we didn't come across any actual records of abuse. But if he was in foster care, it's not inconceivable that abuse was present in his life, prompting the state to take him from his mom's house at age two and not returning him until age seven. And Mm -hmm. uh, who knows what happened to him when he was hospitalized for a mental disorder at age 12 for two years. Yeah. Um, So since... um you know, we're doing this show and the recent R. Kelly docuseries has come out. And um, one point I've heard discussed on the hip hop and black ass podcasts that I listen to in my feed, um, you know, are, are they're going back to the beginning. Slavery. During slavery, slaves were forced to have intercourse with each other to create more slaves for the master. And if they couldn't procreate by a certain age, um, they would castrate the males and then sell them. Um, Slaves did not have agency, nor could they give consent um, to engage in sexual um, acts. Um, Many slave masters abused their female and young male slaves sexually and physically. Um, Those abuses have been to the detriment of the um, black community and have continued through generations. Um, it's a dark point, but I don't know if we've discussed this before in, in past podcasts. Um, and if we're going to discuss perps of color, I, I kind of think that it's important to bring up because I, I, I think that um, with these killers and their crimes, uh, abuse is often what, um, leads to these people becoming um the six fucks the sick fucks that they end up being and uh i just i just think that we should go back to be to the beginning and and uh i don't uh at least that take a look uh, at that we should lose yeah we should i don't think we should uh discount the the horrors of slavery and how how those abuses have um uh may have contributed to this so yeah, and I've always thought, uh, you know, when you, you destroy somebody's uh, whole community, like you, you mm-hmm. take these people from Africa or uh, in the case of Native Native Americans, you just destroy their entire culture, mm-hmm. you know, they mm-hmm. and then uh, replace it with some fucked up shit, then, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, there's going to be some problems. <laughs> Hello? Yeah, there's going to be some problems. Uh, anyway, let's get into the timeline. So let's get into more, some more <laughs> fucked up shit. Here we go. Yeah, let's go. Here we go. Here we go. Let's so, do it. Um, All right. This timeline is going to be uh, pretty short because yes. we don't have a lot of dates, unfortunately. But we do know that the house that Graham lived in and for which he paid $90 a month for his apartment 
was pretty run down. Wow. And by some accounts looked abandoned. According to one article, and this is the article I mentioned earlier, the front Mm -hmm. entrance to the building had a broken down door with rubble in front of it, and the front windows had been shattered. Uh, Drugs ran rampant, this we know, uh, and the house Mm -hmm. stood three miles from Gary Heidnick's House of Horrors. Shut the fuck up. Yeah, yeah, it's all in the same area. And as an aside, I Googled how far the house was from Temple University, and it's less than a mile. In 82 or 83, I visited the campus with my parents okay, to decide whether or not I wanted to go there. Mm-hmm. We drove around the area, and I pretty mm-hmm. much decided right then and there that I was not going to that school. <laughs> how come? Because <laughs> uh, the, the neighborhood scared the crap out of me. It was like... <laughs> A lot of abandoned looking buildings, like uh, nailed up windows, and uh, really? it was really run down. Yeah, it was really mm-hmm. run down. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I was coming from a uh, small town in Connecticut that was, you know, oh. cute and. Enough said. Enough said. Yeah. Enough said. Connecticut to Philly Pen. I already understand that that might have been much <laughs> i was coming from a town like the gilmore girls lived in you know <laughs> oh, jesus christ help us i was like oh my god oh my god oh my god can we go home now <laughs> oh, this is too much this is too much and I'm, I'm actually glad that i didn't go because um i was kind of wild when i was young and i, I stop liked- it I don't I believe it for a party. second. You I were wild. You I was a little, no, a little wild. Yeah. Oh, I like to drink, oh and I, I didn't know. You know, when you're young, eighteen, nineteen years old. You don't know your limits yet, and uh, right, right. I, sometimes I would drink a little too much, and and uh, <laughs> who knows? Who knows what would happen? You know, find myself in an I... abandoned building doing heroin. Who knows? <laughs> So if you had gone to that school in Philly, Ben, you might not have made it. You might not yeah, have made I might it. Have, I might have died right there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, that reminds me of all the times. I was so stupid in college. I would, oh, where were so we all go, stupid? We, Oh my God. I went to college in LA. So we would go to this, we would go to these clubs and I'd, I'd tell my, we'd, we'd the rule was, if we came together, we leave together. But I'd be right. like, I just, I just met this nice fifty-year-old man. He said he's going to take me home and, um, like take care of me. Oh, so I'll see like you guys a good later. Idea to me. <laughs> uh, good night, guys. And my friends would be like, "Are you fucking crazy?" Uh, yes, I was. Yes, yes, <laughs> so, I am. Yeah. Yes, yeah, I, I did am. some stupid ass I... shit. So. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm lucky I didn't die. That's why I'm like, when we do the tips for uh, how not to get murdered, yeah. uh-huh, uh, no uh-huh. judgment. No judgment, no girls, judgment. because no. I have been there. I'm just lucky. No, girl. Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm giving you an, an internet high five right now because we made it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, Beth, you really never cease to amaze me. <laughs> Uh, the East Coast, man, I can only imagine how crazy things got over there. This is 
So um, Harrison, the guy we're talking about, was known as Marty by his neighbors. He was described as quiet, easygoing. Um, women tenants were not in fear of him. In fact, he had done handiwork for some of, some of them. And uh, he had no history of posing any sort of threat. Um, Graham, Harrison Graham, later told police he began killing in January of 1986. Uh, his known victims were killed in that same year. Unfortunately, we don't know the exact dates of the women's um, deaths, but we do have uh, their names. And here they go because they matter. Cynthia Brooks, she was 27. Valerie Jameson was 26. Uh, Mary Jeter Mathis was 36. Barbara Mahoney was 22. Robin DeShazor was 29. Sandra Garvin was 33. And Patricia Franklin was 24. So now we are going to get into the investigation and arrest. Take it away, Beth. All right. On Sunday, August 9th, 1987, Graham was evicted from his home due to a terrible odor coming from his apartment, which tenants had been complaining about. Before he left, the before he left, he nailed the door to one of the rooms <laughs> shut and said that he would be back for the rest of his stuff later. His landlord, sure, sure. <laughs> Nathaniel Choice, had sent his son and nephew over to the apartment to take care of business. And I have to say, this guy is a slumlord for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was going to say it sounds it sounds Trumpyish. Yeah, it does. It does sound Trumpyish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. So he sent over his son and his nephew, and when they could not open the door to the room that had been nailed shut and had no doorknob, they decided to peek through the keyhole. And that's when they called the police. Mm, all right. Officer Pete Scalantino walked up to the door. Uh, of the third floor and into the first room of the apartment. There he saw knee-high piles of trash everywhere, gross, including food containers, discarded syringes, Jesus Christ, molded newspapers and magazines, dried feces, and filthy clothes, sheets, boards, and boxes. On a kitchen wall, uh, there uh, were some rough sketches. Um, One was the drawing of a naked woman with uh, aggressive expletives scrawled next to it and a smear that looked like dried blood left by the dragging of two fingers in parallel. Uh, the man who'd called him told him to look through the keyhole. So he bent down near a door that had Marty scrawled across it to have a look. The officer looked into the keyhole and saw a woman's exposed legs. He knocked and announced himself, and when there was no answer or movement within, he forced the door and entered the room. There he discovered that the woman on a mattress was deceased. She'd been dead for some time, and next to the mattress on a pile of trash was another female corpse. Holy fucking shit. That's too many dead bodies for one place. Uh, I think one is too many. Uh, yeah, right there. A homicide detective joined uh, the search team around 3.45 p.m. They turned up a third set of remains. Jesus 
fucking Christ, wrapped in two sheets and buried under the debris beneath the second body. These were nearly skeletal, so they probably were there for a while, but Mm -hmm. had shreds of clothing. Mm -hmm. Uh, Less than two hours later, the searchers turned up a fourth set of mummified Mm. remains inside some sheets. Jesus Christ. And a fifth body was found around 5.30 p.m., pulled out of another area of debris. But the peculiar detail about this one was that he or she, they couldn't tell, uh, had been sandwiched between two mattresses. The searchers wondered if the evicted tenant had actually slept on the top mattress with the victim underneath, like a dried flower smashed between pages of a book. Stop it. I just stopped. Get out of here. Get the fuck out of here. That's that's uh, the, disgusting. I'm thinking Princess and the Pea. Oh, yeah, yeah, except for a dead body instead of a pea. Except, yeah. Like, oh, Jesus, I don't feel anything. No. You're not a princess. <laughs> you are not a princess. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> oh, Lord. Help us. All right. <laughs> It appeared as though the tenant had resided in one room and had kept the adjoining room as his own private mausoleum. Another two hours went by before a sixth body was located, crammed, crammed inside a tiny six inch deep closet, sitting up, wrapped in a sheet and tied with white electrical cord. Another decomposed body, another one was found. Oh, Jesus. Outside the window, on the roof. On the roof. Up on the roof. (laughs) Detectives also found notebooks in Marty's home that allegedly featured crude sketches of naked women and dismembered body parts. Oh, boy. Woo! So the search for Marty Graham was on. When he left, Graham had taken a water bottle, some items of clothing, and his raggedy blue Cookie Monster puppet. Investigators learned that Graham was known to take long walks. (laughs) Sorry, I was just thinking of like a dating website. (laughs) I like taking long walks with my Cookie Monster puppet. On the beach, yes, with my Cookie Monster puppet. Uh, He was known to take long walks and play basketball with local kids. He liked to entertain them with his Cookie Monster puppet. (laughs) Other neighbors said he was a loner, but when he got drunk, he'd act a little crazy. (laughs) Just a little. Uh, Just a little. And he talked to his puppet all the time. That's not crazy. (laughs) No big deal. Do you guys want to see? Do you guys want to see my Cookie Monster puppet? (laughs) No. No. Is Um, that a you? That's okay. Um, my mom says I shouldn't talk. Talk to you. <laughs> police, police released a fuzzy photo of Graham across the city. People who knew him offered police tips on where he'd been since his eviction, but the leads didn't go anywhere. Uh, several women came forward and said Graham tried to rape them or hit them on the head. One of the bodies was able to be identified. But the remainder of the bodies required an anthropologist to assist in identification by a bone Holy structure. Shit. They couldn't even tell the race or sex of the bodies. Jesus fucking Christ. The Emmy's office stated that the six of the victims had been black females and one had been identified. Mary Jeter Mathis. She was 36. She was the mother of five children. Now a word from our sponsor, BetterHelp. 
how we care for our minds affects how we experience life, so it's important to invest time and care into keeping them healthy. There are plenty of ways to support a healthy brain, like learning a new language or taking power naps, but there's also BetterHelp Online Therapy. Now, we are huge advocates for mental health here at Fruit oh, yeah. HQ. Oh, yes. And we have both used therapy throughout our lives, including BetterHelp, and especially in these past several years to help us deal with challenging times, mm-hmm. challenging thoughts, feelings and experiences. Amen. Yes. And uh, now I had a recent, you know, conversation with my therapist. She was saying sometimes it's just good to talk and get some perspective. You don't have to go to a therapist just because stuff is wrong. So Right, right. And BetterHelp is online therapy that offers video, phone and even live chat only therapy sessions. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. And some people get really anxious about that. So Oh, yes. And it is much more affordable than in-person therapy. And you can be matched with a therapist in under 48 hours. Our listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash fruit. That's betterhelp.com slash fruit. Did you know one out of six couples struggle with infertility, including old Whitey and me? Seriously, that is a staggering statistic that most people don't know or aren't ready to talk about. We need good data and information about our bodies in order to have informed conversations with our doctors and make the best decisions for ourselves and our futures. Good data and information about our bodies is crucial when it comes to our body autonomies, especially in the year of our Lord 2022. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And that's why Modern Fertility was created. It's an easy an affordable way to test your fertility hormones at home with a simple finger prick. Mail it in with a prepaid label and you'll get your personalized results within 10 days. Traditional testing can cost over $1,000, but Modern Fertility gets you the same info at a fraction of the price. And if you go to modernfertility.com fruit, you can get $20 off your test. Also, and this is really cool, mm. if you have an HSA or an FSA, you can put those dollars towards Modern Fertility. Wow! Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Now, if you want kids today or in the future, never or are undecided, it's important to have clinically sound information about your body, which can help you make the decision that's right for you. Right now, Modern Fertility is offering our listeners $20 off the test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That means your test will cost $179 instead of the hundreds or thousands it could cost at a doctor's office. Get $20 off your fertility test when you go to modernfertility.com fruit. That's modernfertility.com fruit. Five five children left without their mama. Um, while DNA analysis had been used in several forensic contexts that same year, it was not yet a common method for victim identification. The area was no stranger to drug overdoses in abandoned buildings, but at the same time, families lived there too. Graham's involvement in the crime was shocking to his neighbors, even to some of his less-than-upstanding cohabitants. He was known as a handyman around the neighborhood and was considered quiet and friendly. Word on the street specifically from drug users provided a different slant on the story. Uh, While Harrison Graham appeared to be mild-mannered, he was also dealing some of the more popular drugs, as well as participating in the lifestyle the drug lifestyle. Uh, He would allow people to use his apartment to inject drugs. Uh, He received $300 each month in Social Security, but uh, appeared to be supplementing with the um, drug money that he was earning. Graham was still nowhere to be found. Uh, The sought-after suspect had four younger siblings and his mother, Lily, all living in the Philadelphia area. Graham's family did not believe that he was guilty, and the family put out a public plea for Harrison to come home. 
He'd been seen at local shelters, even on a city bus, but he'd somehow continued to elude investigators. His mother urged him to turn himself in, and he finally did on August 17th. Graham was arrested only months after fellow Philadelphian Gary Heidnick was arrested for similar crimes. Though Heidnick earned more publicity, guess why? Just kidding. We know. It's racism. Uh, <laughs> news coverage of Graham's crimes was limited mainly to the Philadelphia area. Uh, criminal justice professor Anthony Walsh suggests that the lack of media attention to Graham's crimes is symptomatic of a broader unawareness or neglect of black serial killers in America. Though African-American, Graham killed more people than white Heidnik. The media all but ignored Graham's crimes. And I wanted to interject here because, <clears throat> welcome to Culture Corner with uh, Wendy and Beth. Uh, personally, I just gotta say, I think it's more appropriate, more respectful to say black as opposed to African-American. Um, I've discussed this with, with a white dude a couple months ago and he was like uh should i say black or should i say um african-american when i'm talking about somebody who's highly melanated and i told him i thought african-american was fair but it is an in my opinion an antiquated term for me uh, black people are not a, a monolith, so other black people might feel differently. So um, a highly melanated person from a different time and place than me might feel differently about this using this term. If you call me African-American, I get offended um, because you're denying my mother's side of me. Um, and not all black people are African-American. Um, people of African descent Due to the slave trade and migration, the diaspora is very vast. African-American is only a fraction of it. So, so now we're back to the story. <laughs> Gary Heidnick. <laughs> so anyway, Gary Heidnick. <laughs> so what? That is the most vanilla name I ever. Such a Gary. white name. Yeah, Gary. So Gary Heidnick was still <laughs> awaiting trial on uh, murder, kidnapping, and torture charges when uh, the city police officers made the grisly discovery at Graham's apartment in the summer of 1987. Uh, the police interrogated Graham. At first, he said he didn't kill anyone, that the bodies were there when he moved in. <laughs> and he was like, hey, there's some bodies. Oh, I whatever. Laugh. We're I friends. Laugh. I, know. <laughs> I shouldn't laugh. Okay. <laughs> then he said uh, that he only killed two of them, you know, and the other ones, oh, I don't know. Okay. They just, yeah. they just like appeared. I don't they know. They just showed up there. Yeah. <laughs> They're like magnets, you know, you kill two. Next thing you know, there's four. <laughs> <laughs> finally he admitted to killing all of them he said that he meant to get them drunk and high and then strangle them during sex uh then he'd pass out and wake up with the body next to him and he was surprised every time oh my god oh wow how fucked up do you have to be to be like more than once more than once to be like yeah. there's a there's a dead body next to me Oh, yeah, who no. knew that strangling somebody would kill them? <laughs> who knew? Holy shit. I was into some kinky shit. She was into some kinky shit, too. And next thing you know, she's dead. And I'm yeah. here. <laughs> okay. What are you going to do? Uh, you just stuff them in a closet what? underneath a mattress on, a, on the roof. Whatever. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. No big deal. No big deal. Uh, 
He said <clears throat> he didn't mean to kill anyone, but through perhaps his sexual technique. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, his sexual technique. <laughs> he held the women around the neck and probably pressed too hard. Um, now, I don't know if you've ever been choked during sex, Beth, but it does feel really good. Uh, but <laughs> if you're going to die, uh, that's not good. Investigators assumed he was illiterate, but Graham actually read his Bible regularly. And uh, a racist source, I'm calling it a racist source, uh, that we found said that uh, he was surprisingly articulate and talented as an artist. And I I, uh, say racist because I think it's uh, racist for uh, white people to call people of color articulate. Yeah, or surprisingly articulate. Yeah. Oh my God. This black person knows English. Yeah. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Graham said he killed his first victim and then he didn't know what to do with the body. So he put it on the roof accessible by a window. He didn't mind the maggots, but the birds did bother him. Oh, right. That's creepy. Graham's competency to stand trial was in question. Dr. Robert Stanton indicated that Graham had an IQ of 63, below the level considered mentally competent, and that Graham was a serious substance abuser of alcohol and drugs and was thus unable to cooperate in his own defense. He suffered from auditory hallucinations blackouts Uh, he was psychotic with chronic paranoid features psychologist albert levitt said that graham was unable to read write or even tell time he was highly distractible but dr robert sardoff hired by the da's office declared that graham had no significant mental impediment to assisting his attorney he was able to respond to my question sat off told a reporter he was able to give police a statement it was coherent it was logical judge edward meckle declared graham competent to be prosecuted um all right well uh according to a psychology today article defense attorney joel moldovsky had prepared well for his client it wasn't just insanity he said these acts had been due to graham's multiple personality disorder Uh, Graham was presented as having three distinct personalities. Frank was a foul-mouthed, drug-addicted murderer. Junior was an unmanageable two-year-old who adored the cookie monster. And Marty was the likable handyman who complied with the police. Interesting take. Multiple personality disorder is now referred to as... Dissociative Identity Disorder, or DID. Mm -hmm. It's a condition in which a person's identity is fragmented into two or more distinct personality states. People with this very rare condition are usually victims of severe physical and sexual abuse. It's a controversial diagnosis, and some people believe that because DID patients are easily hypnotized, their symptoms are actually caused by treatment, meaning that they arise Mm. in response to therapists' suggestions, kind of like false recovered memories. 
Brain imaging studies, however, have corroborated identity transitions in some patients. Some people think DID is complete and utter bullshit. (laughs) Um, But I am not one of those people. (laughs) Um, (laughs) DID reflects a failure to integrate various aspects of identity, memory, and consciousness into a single multidimensional self. Usually, a primary identity carries the individual's given name and is passive, dependent, guilty, and depressed. When in control, each personality state or alter may be experienced as if it has a distinct history, self-image, and identity. The alter's characteristics, including name, reported age and gender, vocabulary, general knowledge, and predominant mood contrast with those of the primary primary identity. Certain circumstances or stressors can cause a particular alter to emerge. The various identities may deny knowledge of one another, be critical of one another, or appear to be in open conflict. And we can't verify this account, but according to one article, the one fishy article, <laughs> yes. at an early age, Harrison was both a lover to and employee of a male pimp. Troubles at home led him to the streets where, for the first time, Harrison claims to have felt deeply loved. But in his early teens, his mother had a spiritual revelation and turned to Christianity. She began to preach the immoralities of his lifestyle, one that she'd been uninvolved in for a very long time. This led to one of his splits between Frank and Marty. Again, we only read this in one place and it's not corroborated, but... That's what somebody said. Yeah, there you go. Phillips is giving you the scoop. You decide. Okay, <laughs> you decide. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jesus, Graham's case was not decided by a jury. Instead, it was a bench trial decided upon by a judge. The defense was afraid that the gruesome evidence would sway jurors. The prosecutor offered some powerful witnesses. Two women said they'd lived with Graham and survived, but just barely. One testified that during sex, he would place his hand around her throat and squeeze again. It is super kinky and fun. (laughs) I'm just saying. Several times she thought he was killing her. Uh, He told her she said uh, that she killed one of uh, his former girlfriends in anger. The second witness confirmed that Graham had confessed to this killing. He'd also threatened her with a machete. Um, I saw, I saw this in our doc. Uh-huh. Uh, so I am half, half immigrant. I'm an anchor baby essentially. Okay. And, uh, <laughs> my grandpa used to have just machetes just lying around, lying around the backyard. Me and my cousins used to play with machetes all oh my the time. God. <laughs> I know. We're, how are we still alive? <laughs> anyway, on with the story. Sorry. <laughs> A psychiatrist for the defense said that since Graham had said he could not recall the first five murders, it was not possible to judge his mental state at the time of those crimes. However, during the last two incidents, he'd hallucinated the voices of both God and the devil. Therefore, he'd been psychotic. Uh, Okay. okay. (laughs) Graham. (laughs) Graham. 
at 28 years old, was found guilty of seven counts of first-degree murder at the end of a seven-week non-jury trial. Uh, Common Pleas Judge Robert A. Latrone. The judge sentenced Graham to life in prison for death of one victim whose near-skeletal remains were found scattered around the apartment. Fuck you! Latrone said there were no proven aggravating circumstances warranting the death penalty for that murder. Latrone then sentenced Graham to death for the six other killings, citing the life sentence he received for the first murder as an aggravating circumstance, warranting capital punishment for successive murders under Pennsylvania law. In addition, Graham received seven one- to two-year sentences for the abuse of a corpse. Latrone ordered all the sentences to be served consecutively. According to his attorneys, Graham, who sat passively through most of his trial and the sentencing, just blinked and shook his head. Moldovsky later told reporters, I assume he knows he was found guilty, but I'm not sure. At the end of his sentencing, Graham stretched and snapped his fingers and before being led away by sheriff's deputies, asked the attorney if he could have his Cookie Monster puppet back. The judge denied him the hand puppet since it was evidence, but said he could keep his glove and finger puppets that sat on the defense table during his trial. Wow. Uh, <laughs> Cookie Monster does it again. The sentences were a mix of both life without parole and death. And in an unusual move, the judge decided that Graham should not be executed until after after he'd served the life sentence. Uh, it meant that Graham had, in effect, received a life sentence without the possibility of parole. So that's it for the timeline and the investigation. So uh, where are they now? Graham's death sentences were vacated in 2003 due to his low IQ and indicators of early onset mental illness. He was considered not competent to be executed. Huh. Well, he is being housed at the State Correctional Institution at uh, Cole Township, commonly referred to as SCI Cole Township, a Pennsylvania Department of Corrections prison. SCI Cole Township houses about 2,300 inmates. Um, And so now we are going to get into what we think made him snap. Hit it, Beth. (laughs) It sounds like uh, this guy had a pretty rough childhood. Uh They talk about his parents, but uh, that he also spent time in foster care from the age of two to seven. So there's a huge gap of information in there that we know nothing Mm -hmm. about. Um, Mm -hmm. There was probably some abuse and neglect, but we don't know the details on that. Just that one fishy story. Not sure how true it is. Uh, It's not out of the realm of possibility that that happened or that other abuse happened. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have read that although he has been described in many places as mentally handicapped, there are Mm -hmm. other people who don't think his IQ was as low as they thought. And drug usage Mm -hmm. 
uh, probably had a lot to do with his mental status. And of course, his attorney alleged that he had dissociative identity disorder. And it may well be that the first murder was an accident, but that he was also always high as fuck on drugs. So it didn't really bother him (laughs) that much. And maybe he even enjoyed it. So he just kept doing it. Um, I do suspect that whatever abuse that may have happened in his childhood probably had a lot to do with it. I mean, um, as we have all heard in these types of stories before, it's kind of a blueprint for creating a serial killer. Um, I'd also Mm -hmm. like to know why he was hospitalized at the age of 12, what mental disorder he allegedly had. Um, Mm -hmm. I have actually known people who are put in mental institutions simply because their parents couldn't handle them. And in there, yeah, they're drugged up and actually traumatized by the experience rather than helped. And really, there's nothing wrong with them. They're just, you know, teenagers. And I wonder like if this Angelina is what Angelina Jolie and Girl Interrupted? Yeah, yeah, just like that. And I Dang. wonder if this is what happened to Graham. Ooh. You know what? You might be onto something there, Beth. Man. Could be. Could be. Count. We always, we always can count on the OG of true, true crime <laughs> to set us straight. <laughs> uh, so I have no fucking clue how this individual snapped. Uh, we can only speculate. Um, I wanted to point out that growing up black in America is traumatic in itself. That's evident even today, suicide rates among children are on the rise. And uh, the number of suicide uh, suicides that are occurring, um, more black kids are killing themselves more than um, non-black kids. Um, so that's troubling. Um, also, having a learning disability, being poor, I think all of those things led to his drug abuse as a way to cope with his circumstances. I'm probably, I, I could be wrong, but that those that's, that's just my uh, inference. Oh, I'm sure that uh, drug abuse was a way to cope. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. He was, co- he was, yeah, he was trying to cope with his circumstances. Um, like Beth always says though, not an excuse, only an explanation. <laughs> um, yeah. And I was under the impression that he committed these crimes. While he was, fucked up (laughs) and then he coped with the filth and the terrible things that he did by being even more fucked up and he just continued being fucked up until the smell (laughs) was too much for his neighbors and the jig was up so bye yeah Yeah. (laughs) so they kicked him out so So. yeah i'm pretty sure he was pretty much high as fuck all the time yeah Yeah, i think so too i think so too um so now we are going to get into our takeaways um well this story is gross this dude is nasty as fuck but um what's even more nasty is what little coverage this received what the hell he killed more people than that white dude what the hell um no other contrast of white and black zero killers is more evident than a comparison of the 1987 arrest of these two multiple murders in philadelphia pennsylvania gary heidnick a white male accused of double murder was arrested on march 24th 1987 and coincidentally black serial killer harrison graham was arrested less than five months later on august 16th 
1987 for the murder of seven women. Heidnik received far more publicity, both at the time and later. During the trial, Harrison Graham, the Philadelphia Daily News, reported that the um, prosecutor suggested that Graham's ability to commit multiple crimes and then conceal them suggests he was more mentally functional than his lawyers have maintained. That same fucking newspaper years earlier described Harrison Graham as having uh, the mind of a child. Fuck you guys. While (laughs) the uh, Philadelphia Inquirer suggested that he was mentally retarded, Fuck you guys for using that word. In contrast, even though Gary Heidnick failed to meet the FBI standard for a serial murderer, he was nonetheless elevated to the status within uh, pop culture through film and books. For instance, Heidnick became the archetype for Buffalo Bill. Ever heard of him? <laughs> In the Thomas uh, Harris novel, as well as the subject of uh, Ing. England's non-fictional seller of horrors, which is a book. Have you read it, Beth? I have not read that seller one. Seller of no. horrors. Okay. Okay. Uh, Harrison Graham has not, to date, been the sole subject. Are you listening to this? He has not been the sole subject of any books or movies, despite his numerous victims. All right, I need to do a gunshot or a hip hop air horn or some some sort of sound effect to mark the bullshit. <laughs> Were you able to find any like YouTube videos or anything? No, no, yeah, no. And, I couldn't and, either. Uh, you know, here a little behind the scenes. So. Beth reads <laughs> and I don't <laughs> like to read. I don't like to read because I read really slow and it's just really frustrating to me. So I always, I, I like listening to books. I like um, watching things. And so that's how I get my information that I contribute to the the documents and, and the information that we provide to you guys. And I couldn't, I couldn't find anything. It was, so it you was must really have tough. had to read because you did contribute. I had to read. I had to read. It was awful. It was, it was awful. terrible. See how much. See terrible. how much Wendy loves oh you guys. God. She read for you. I read for you guys. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh my lordy! Oh so my yeah, god! I, okay. I couldn't find any YouTube videos either. Not even like some crappy one, you know, Mm-mm. with a bunch of racist people. <laughs> I know, I know, because when you do, when you do find YouTube videos, they're always by these white people who have yeah. no idea what they're talking about. Okay. <laughs> so my takeaways, uh, I started out hating this guy and then ended mm-hmm. up feeling kind of sorry for him. I know, I know, mm-hmm. he's a murderer. Understood, understood. I know, I feel both disgusted <laughs> by him and I have sympathy for him as a child, I guess. Um, yeah. My daughter works with a lot of foster kids and they have mm-hmm. it pretty rough. Um, a lot of them, they're with the foster families, but their parents are still in the picture and they... Um, they come for uh, visitation and sometimes they don't Mm -hmm. show up and that upsets Mm -hmm. the kids and then they they uh, act out in class and uh, it's just horrible it's heartbreaking Uh, and uh, whether or not this guy was as mentally challenged as they thought or if he was just slightly mentally challenged I do think he was at least slightly mentally challenged um, mm-hmm. and then all the time high as fuck, 
and or he had a mental disorder because he could also Mm -hmm. have had a mental disorder on top of all that um uh he he probably wasn't the brightest bulb and he probably did not get the help that he needed as a child so i mean even people who are not that bright they can still uh contribute to society we still uh, you know need people to uh work jobs that you know have to be the brightest bulb to do you know we still need just look people. at nine yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> perfect example (laughs) these are still you know they're people they're human beings you know Uh, just because he's not uh, you know super smart doesn't mean that he should be treated like shit I mean I'm just talking about him as a child you know as a child right absolutely yeah Yeah. and again that's Uh, another story that's sad all the way around uh, from the the child who was neglected and abused to the uh, women who were murdered just just super sad yeah it is it is sad um that's (laughs) on all these true crime cases we always come back to where these people started out and the beginnings are always really sad Mm -hmm. and um uh, they start out sad and, then, and they end up and they sad. end up sad. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So it's just it's just kind of sad. Uh, now we are going to get into the part of our show where we talk about how not to get murdered. <clears throat> so let me do the jingle. If you love to crime and you don't want to die, here's a tip for you. <laughs> I'm sorry, it just makes me laugh every time. Every time. time. <laughs> <laughs> so this segment is not intended to be victim blaming. We thought of this segment because I read somewhere that a lot of people listen to true crime because they want to know what they can do to be safer. But in my mind, this is not meant to blame the victims. Uh there for the grace of God go I. Uh, It's just learning from other people's experiences and mistakes. Sometimes we have no suggestions for a particular episode and we'll just offer up generic tips. So uh, here I go. Substance abuse is part of the story, a very important part of the story. If you or someone you know is dealing with substance abuse, do not suffer in silence. There are many ways and resources to get well. Um, and we can link those uh, suggestions in our footnotes. Um, if you listen to our show, you probably are already into podcasts. <laughs> um, and not everybody can make it to a meeting. Uh, but there are some sobriety podcasts out there. And uh, I was uh, looking some of them up. Um, Recovery Elevator um and the share podcasts uh are great if you are considering getting sober or you know somebody who you think should get sober or or whatever um but they they're kind of like attending um an NA or an AA meeting um in your headphones so um 
sometimes that's cool. hard to attend. So anyway, yeah. So there you go. Um, do we have any um, serial killer or crime news? Anything um, yeah. to report? What do you yeah, think? I wanted to go back to that Long Island serial killer case. Remember, uh, mm-hmm. I had that update on that story uh, we talked about a while back. Um, I have another yeah. update. Uh, they were supposed oh. to re- as that the last update they were supposed to release the 911 tape of the call made by Shannon Gilbert. Uh, I've been monitoring that because I really want to know what's on it. But uh, yeah, New York police are still fighting it. They're claiming it will jeopardize what? the investigation if they release it. And they've already you the judge what? has Fuck already said <laughs> the judge has Stop. already said no, you have to release it. But they're still fighting it. And John Ray, the no. attorney for Gilbert's estate, finds the police's refusal suspicious. He believes the police uh, investigation has been compromised. I don't know what that means. And the tapes, if they haven't already been destroyed could reveal information damaging to the department. Uh, The public really has a right to know what's on those tapes as well as Shannon's family. It will generate Mm -hmm. witnesses who are in the public who know what happened and perhaps will come forward. That's what the attorney said. A judge has twice ordered Suffolk County police to turn over the tape of the call, as well as others made by neighbors around the time of Gilbert's disappearance. In an October ruling, Judge Sanford Berland said the police department failed to provide the slightest intimation of how or why giving Gilbert's family access to the tapes would compromise any aspect of their protracted investigation. So when I say cops are messy hoes, (laughs) (laughs) this is an example. What I mean, <laughs> this is an example of messy hoedness. <laughs> this is fuckery at its fucking yeah, this finest. This I, I suspect even. that there's probably something on the tape that they'll find embarrassing or something like that. Yeah, and you know, um, what's troubling about police policing in America? There are some police, um. I don't know if it's unions or if it's uh, on the leg- the legislature's responsibility or or whatever but um I've I have heard that it, like if if some police departments you can make any complaint you want about the police except about police brutality some other departments um if the complaint investigation is more than a year old the police can never get um disciplined um the the rules that we have around these police departments are fucking wild and out of control so it's different Um, everywhere so we say yeah it's different it's different in every jurisdiction but they're the bottom line is they're all pretty fucked up yeah um and not not serving the people only serving the officers and allowing them to behave um badly Mm. um so now we're going to get into the part of our show where we shout out any content by people of color or about people of color or any marginalized groups basically anybody who's not a straight cisgender white (laughs) dude (laughs) um and i wanted to shout out since we were talking about Philadelphia today, uh, a documentary that I saw years ago called uh, Let the Fire Burn on Netflix. And the documentary takes place in Philly, Philadelphia. Since our case, again, took 
took place in Philadelphia. I thought it was appropriate. It's about uh, a, the group called Move, and they were um, uh, a, a famous like civil rights kind of group. Um, and it, the movie is about their downfall, and the documentary uses only footage from the time there is no commentary by hmm. anybody so wow. you know normally in a documentary you'll 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 they're like little interview sessions there's no some narration sessions. or it's something all, yeah yeah no not at all this is all um f- actual news footage it's um f- footage of the time so it, it, it as if you're like in a documentary's this is super, super fresh, super exciting. Um, the documentary, again, uses only footage from the time. There is no commentary. MOVE is a Black liberation group founded in Philadelphia uh, by John Africa, formed in 1972, and Donald Glacy. Uh, he was a social worker from the University of Pennsylvania. The name is not an acronym, which uh, was a surprise to me. Uh, <laughs> the group lived in a communal setting in West Philadelphia, West Philadelphia, born and raised on a abiding by philosophies of uh, anarcho primitivism, like whatever that would, is, they would, eat, <laughs> yeah, whatever, but they would have the like the, they ate like raw food they only ate raw oh, okay food and they, they they would like feed the the kids um raw vegetables but they'd also feed them like raw chicken like, oh geez uncooked chicken yeah, yeah but the yeah. kids the kids were fine the grown-ups wouldn't eat but anyway the, the grown-ups wouldn't eat the, the raw chicken but the kids would yeah. um the u.s government declared move as a terrorist group so the police went in and shot everybody and bombed the shit out of the house and um there were little kids inside. Oh man! So, the story sounds familiar. I may may have read something about it, but I don't think I saw this documentary. I uh, saw it. A, I saw it a few years ago. But um, the pretty much everyone in the home died except for one little boy who lived to tell the tale. It's compelling. It's maddening. It's moving. I highly recommend it. Again, it's called "Let the Fire Burn" on Netflix. Yeah, it sounds really interesting. Our episode is going a little long. I'm so sorry, long. guys. Yeah. I went on so many tangents. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, where can the people find us? <laughs> Our website is fruitloopspod.com. Our Facebook page is Fruit Loops Pod. And our discussion group is Fruit Loops Pod Discussion on Facebook. We are also on Twitter and Instagram at Fruit Loops Pod. And links to our sources will be in our footnotes. If you want to support the show, you can send us a donation on the Cash app, which you can download on your phone, or you can find online at cash.me forward slash dollar sign Fruit Loops Pod, or you can become a monthly patron through our Podbean patron page. This will help us pay for things like our website and pod hosting. There's no minimum and no commitment. Even a dollar would help. This is a weekly podcast and new episodes drop every Thursday. So until next time, look alive, guys. It's crazy out there.
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No Hi, I'm Matt Harris. Seton Tucker and I host the podcast Impact of Influence, which for two years covered in depth Alec Murdoch, who was eventually convicted in 2023 of murdering his wife Maggie and son Paul. That story continues to evolve, and we will cover that. Plus, we will tell you stories of other true crime events that have happened in the South. Please join us on Impact of Influence. And give us a follow on the Impact of Influence Facebook page.